I got it all messed up, don't I? There we go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I just kind of wanted to, uh, just to kind of pump the, the, the Sunday school. I mean, any time that you have Alistair Begg and R.C. Sproul and Legan Duncan and Carl Truman and Al Moeller and Erwin Lutzer, anytime you have a Sunday school that has these men, you need to be there. Because these are just phenomenal scholars in the word, but yet their, their lives reflect what they preach and what they teach. And so I just really want to encourage everybody to, to come as we, as we go through this. And also, uh, you know, when Dick reads Alistair Begg, if anybody knows who Alistair Begg is, he's a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, and he is Scottish. So I have a challenge. Next time you read Alistair Begg, you should do it with a Scottish accent. <laughs> I wanted to say that two weeks ago, Dick, but I forgot. Okay, so let's open our Bibles to uh, the uh, letter to the Ephesians, if you would, please, chapter 1. As we look at this next section in chapter 1. So let's start from the beginning and we'll read all the way to the end of verse 10. This is what the apostle writes. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through, the, through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come and look into your word. And Lord, I just pray for your guidance. Pray for your wisdom. Pray that you would give us all understanding. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts, Lord, through the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, you would keep me from any error. And if there is any error, Father, I pray that you would correct me quickly, please. Father, I just ask that your sheep would be fed, that your bride would be lifted up, and that we would all leave here glorifying and praising you. May our theology today, Lord, as we talked about last week, turn into our doxology, our worship of you. We ask this all in your name. Amen. So I was struck with one thing this week. 
And that was when you, when you study theology, and you, like we looked at last week, we looked at God's choosing of us, we looked at election, and this week we'll look at, at redemption. When you, when, you, when you study that and you study it and you get a little bit of a grasp on it, and time and time goes by, and you hear of these doctrines over and over again, I'm, I'm struck with my own heart, I don't know about you guys, but I'm struck with my own heart of how accustomed I've become to them. How I've become accustomed to the word grace. We're saved by grace. God is gracious. God is merciful. And we hear that so much and so often that we become accustomed to it. I remember when I first started you know, preaching here, that we, we talked about amazing grace and how we sing amazing grace. And um, amazing grace, we, we, we should sing it with, with absolute vigor because it truly is amazing. But I think sometimes we, we look at it and we become accustomed to God's grace and we're not awed by it anymore. And so this is my thought today is I want us to be awed by redemption. I want us to be awed by it. Now, these Ephesian believers, they would have understood redemption a little bit better than we would today because of what was going on around them during that time. So redemption, simply redemption, it refers to paying a ransom in order to release a person from bondage, especially slavery. So when we look at slavery today, we look back 500 years ago when we had slaves and everything like that. But in their time, slavery was, was rampant. It, it, was, it was the norm to, to have slavery. In, in fact, in, in these Roman times, they had roughly around 20 million slaves. So the buying and selling of, sa- of, of slaves, was a, it was a big business. If a person wanted to free someone they loved or a close friend, that had the, they had to purchase them and grant them freedom testifying to the deliverance of that person with a certificate. So these Ephesians believers that Paul was writing this letter to would have an understanding of this particular Greek word for redemption or redeemed. They would understand it that it was paying a ransom. Now we're not enslaved and so it's a little bit difficult for for me at least to understand this but we are in bondage or we were in bondage Right? We were in bondage. As, as God's children, we're no longer, no longer in bondage. But we were in bondage. And we were in bondage of sin. Sin is what bound us. Sin is what chained us. We were in bondage of sin. Jesus says in John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So at one point in time, we were slaves to sin. Now, if you sit here and you're an unbeliever, guess what? You're in bondage to sin. And may the Lord set you free today through the preaching of his word. But if we sit here as believers, we were slaves to sin. Sin was our master and we obeyed all of its desires and all of its lusts. The psalmist tells us this in Psalms 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, and there is none who does good. Paul confirms what the psalmist says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. 
Also in Romans 7.14, Paul tells us, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So we see that we're in bondage to sin. Now there is the ultimate payment for sin, right? The ultimate end of sin is death. That's what Romans 6.23 tells us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Right? So, for the wages of sin is death. Wages is something we earn. We go to work and we put in hours and we get wages, right? This is what our wages are. We get paid for what we do and, um, or what we don't do sometimes. And, uh, but this is what we're looking at, the, 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 the wages, right? So, all of our sin that we commit, that we're in bondage to, what we earn out of that is death. We earn death. That is the ultimate payment, is death. And that is what we owe. Listen to what Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 18.4. He says, Behold, all souls are mine. The souls of the Father as well as the souls of the Son is mine. Here's what I want us to look at. The soul who sins shall die. So this is what we're looking at. Being in bondage to sin we're looking at death. So what we need is we need someone to come and take the shackles off to set us free, to loose the chains, to redeem us. But the penalty has to be paid. There has to be death has to take place. And the Ephesians would have understood this completely this word this way and I want us to be amazed at this therefore biblical redemption is the act of God by which he himself paid the ransom for sin paid the ransom for our sin we have to understand where we were to really glorify God and worship God with redemption We have to understand this bondage that we were in to see the payment and how great the payment is. So let's dig into the text. So let's look at first the Redeemer. We have to have a Redeemer. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 6. It says this, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. There's the Redeemer. The Redeemer is the Beloved. Right? So we see in those first six verses the work of God in our election and being holy and blameless. And now we see that there's this work of redemption that has to take place. And so today we see the work of the Son, the Beloved. Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the Beloved One. Matthew 3.17 says this, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Beloved means loved by God. Beloved, loved by God. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Since we are in Christ, we are considered beloved also. Listen to what Romans 1.7 says. To all those in Rome who are loved by God. That's beloved. Loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the Redeemer. He is the beloved one. 
This is who he is. Now, who does, who does he redeem? We have to have the redeemed. Look again, 1-7, in Ephesians 1-7. In him, we have redemption. There's the we, us. We are the redeemed. We are the redeemed. This is who he came to redeem, those that he chose. We are the redeemed. But Paul does not want the Ephesians to forget who they were. He doesn't want us to forget where we came from. So we see this. He reminds us in this very letter who we were. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Then verse 4 comes in and says, but God being rich in mercy. We won't get into that one. Ephesians 2.12. Remember right? So he's going to our minds. Remember that you, Mark, Jenny, Jim, Bob, Rick, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is who we were. We were alienated. We had no hope. Paul wants us to remember this. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. Paul wants them to remember. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember some simple facts Our sin against God, we have to look at it in this way. Our sin is an infinite sin against an infinite God that demanded an infinite payment that took the infinite Son of God to pay. Does that make sense? It's all infinite, and guess what we are? We are not infinite. We are finite. We could not pay the debt that was due to God to redeem ourselves. We needed Christ to come and be that infinite sacrifice to redeem us, to buy us back, to ransom, to ransom us. Christ is the redeemer. We are the redeemed. What was redemption's price? What was redemption's price? Look at verse seven again. In him we have redemption through his blood. That was the price. The price was Christ's death. Ephesians 1.7, it was Christ's death. Christ died for us to redeem us. Titus 2.14 says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is what he did. He died for us. He gave his life for us to redeem us. We, we, we see this picture in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, Christ comes and Christ has to fulfill one, he has to fill, fulfill a bunch of things. But one thing he fulfills in the Old Testament is the whole sacrificial system. He is the substance of the sacrificial system. Everything else in the Old Testament was a symbol. 
And so when, when you lived in the Old Testament and you sinned, you would bring some kind of animal, depending on how, how wealthy you were, uh, God made all kinds of provisions for that, you would bring in this animal and they would sacrifice this animal. And so there was this sacrifice that took place. And this was all symbolic. But that sacrifice could never take away sin. It merely covered sin. It never took sin away. Listen to what Hebrews 10.4 says. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's referring back to the Old Testament system of sacrifice. It was impossible for those to take away sin. It covered, but it never took it away. They were still enslaved. They were still in bondage. Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid for the sins of every elect person in bondage to sin, buying them out of the slave market. Romans 3.24 And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Propitiation simply means this satisfaction, this appeasement. Christ satisfied God's wrath. Christ appeased God's wrath is what that, is what that word means. He appeased God's wrath. How? By his blood, by his death, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. First Peter, First Peter 18 and 19, precious, precious verse. This is an amazing verse. Listen to this. Knowing that you were ransomed, you were ransomed, you were redeemed. You know, we were redeemed. Oh, I lost my spot. We were ransomed. From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Brothers and sisters, Christ redeemed us not because we were the best in the crop, not because we were the best looking, not because we were the most intelligent, not because we were, we were uh, um, I got it in here, not because we were, we were worth it. There's a teaching out there that says that, that we were worth it. Christ did not redeem us because we were worth it or because we were something special in us. No, Christ redeemed us because he loved us with an infinite love and that love was set upon you at the beginning of the foundations of the earth. That's why you are redeemed. That's why you're redeemed. Think about Hosea. Has everybody read the book of Hosea? So Hosea is a prophet, and he was married to a, a lady named Gomer, right? Gomer, right? Gomer was a prostitute, right? And so this is a picture of God and Israel, right? And so Gomer goes out, even married to Hosea, and she goes out and she prostitutes herself around and she prostitutes herself around. And finally she ends up back on the slave block is where she ends up. And here, listen to what God says to this woman, right? And the Lord said to me, to Hosea, this is Hosea 3, and the Lord said to me, this isn't on the thing, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and of raisins. Here's what Hosea does. 
So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, about $5,000 today. So I bought her for about 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So we see this picture of redemption as, as Hosea goes and he, he, he takes Gomer back. And Gomer by this time, she wouldn't have been all that desirable. She wouldn't have been all that desirable. But, but Hosea goes and he, and he buys her back off of the slave market, takes her out of the bondage of that sin, right? And, and, and what did it say? She had other lovers, Isn't that exactly what Christ does for us, brothers and sisters? We have so many other idols, do we not? We have so many other things that take us away from who Christ is. We have other loves in our life, and yet he comes and he redeems us from those other lovers. What love is bestowed upon us? We should never, ever be people that feel unloved because of the love that Christ has for us in this, re- this redemption. Fourthly, redemption's results. Redemption's results. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So the results of this redemption, the results of what Christ's work does for us is we now have the forgiveness of our trespasses. This word forgiveness means deliverance from captivity, pardon. It basically means sent away. So we get this other picture again of the Old Testament. Now in the Old Testament, on the day of Yom Kippur, this was their highly religious day, they would have two goats, And one goat, they would come, and the high priest at the time would sacrifice the goat on the altar. And that was the sacrifice. The second goat was called the scapegoat. And then what he would do is he would lay his hands on the head of the goat, and he would pray all the sins, lay all the sins of the people on this goat, and then they would take this goat out of the camp as far away and they would send it away as far as they possibly could so the goat could never make its way back, symbolically saying that the sin has been removed. Now Christ comes and the substance comes and he redeems us and this is what he does. Psalms 32.1 Blessed is the one Oh, through the shedding of his blood, right? Psalms 32, 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalms 86, 5 says this. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Psalms 103, 12 brings this further in. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And I've used this example before, that if we start out heading east, and we keep heading east, we will never hit west. We will always be going east. And in this time, this is, this is wording of, of infinity. This is what it's saying, that, that God in Christ, this is what he's done with our sin. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sin infinitely away, is what he has done. This forgiveness that we have, 
this forgiveness, it's undeserving. It's undeserving. We don't deserve to be forgiven. Our sins, past, present, and future, they're all forgiven for his name's sake. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, I will not remember your sins. 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. God does this for his name's sakes, for the praise of his glory, and we are the beneficiaries of it. Wow, what a redemption we have. This should excite us that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We imitate Christ in our forgiveness. When we forgive, I'm going to be honest with you guys, we think forgiveness is easy. I used to think forgiveness was easy. It's really easy when, when you know, someone comes up, ah, oh, forgive me, ah, oh, cool, yeah, I forgive you, no big deal, right? It's not, it's not a big thing, you know? But forgiveness, forgiveness is really hard when you have to forgive when you're really hurt because you want to hold on to vengeance. It is hard when you are really hurt. But when we forgive like God has forgiven us, we magnify and we glorify and we show people that we understand what Christ has done for us. Listen to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 2.13. And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This is what we do. We imitate Christ when we forgive this way. This forgiveness that we have, it's not according to, uh, to, to what we do, but it's, it's according to God's infinite grace, right? This is what we're looking at. It's according to his infinite grace. Look at, verse, at the end of verse seven. This forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So there's, there's this difference, right? It's, it's according to his grace, not, not out of his grace. It's according to his grace. For example, if, if uh, this is a really stretchy example. If I was a millionaire, that's where it gets stretched because I'm not a millionaire, but if I was a millionaire and I had to give a donation to a charity and I gave them $200, right? That's out of my riches. Now, if I was a millionaire in that same charity, I gave them $50,000, that's according to my riches. You guys see the difference? Okay, that's according to our riches. God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus according to his riches which is infinite which is infinite his riches are infinite this forgiveness this god's grace it's lavished upon us it's lavished upon us i i i I can only see the apostle writing as he writes these words and he he tries to find words that that describe this kind of grace that we have lavish this word lavish is to cause to be abundant It's abundant grace. You and I, brothers and sisters, we can never use up God's grace. Never use up God's grace. We have to understand that. We can never use that up. It's an infinite supply of grace for God. There is not an amount of sin 
that can sponge up all of God's grace. I'm not telling you to go and sin. Don't do that. But what I'm saying is, is when you do sin, don't ever think that God's grace won't cover that. Don't ever think that God is no longer gracious to you. Look at what the Word says. Look at what God says. He's lavished this grace upon us. Abundant grace. So live in it, brothers and sisters. Live in that grace. Live in it. Forgiveness of sin and our trespasses. The second result is wisdom and insight. It's spiritual discernment. Wisdom, understanding of ultimate things. Wisdom concerning the things of God. Insight, practical understanding in the way we navigate this world. Spiritual prudence in the dealing with daily affairs. We have spiritual discernment because we've been redeemed. We have spiritual discernment. When God takes away sin and when God redeems us, he does not leave us unequipped. He has equipped us spiritually to handle everyday issues. We are equipped. Listen to 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power is granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 7. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of the age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He keeps following that down into verse 12, 212, where he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. This is our spiritual discernment. And he finishes it out in verse 16, where he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, when we have the mind of Christ, this does not mean that we are all-knowing like Christ is. Christ is God, we are not God. But we have the spirit that lives in us so us to spiritually discern things. This is because of our redemption. This is because of our redemption. Now, what's the reason behind all this? What is the reason behind our redemption? What's the reason behind all these blessings that he talks about in verse 3. Why does God bless us with these blessings? Why does he choose us? Why does he make us holy and blameless? Why does he predestine us to the adoption of sons? Why does he redeem us, forgive us, and lavish all his grace upon us? It's for this reason. It's for this reason. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It's the end of all things. This is the reason. It's the end of all things. These verses are referring to the end of history. It takes place when Christ returns and reigns in his kingdom. The summing up of all things in Christ God designed his great plan in the past and he now works that plan out in his sovereign will. That's what he means by the summing up of all things. The fullness of time. What, what, what Paul is telling us in this fullness of time is God will complete and perfect the plan of his son. 
and he will perfect that plan in his son. And Jesus will rule forever with righteousness and glory. The fullness of time, when that fullness of time comes to an end and Christ sets up his kingdom. Things in heaven and things on earth. This is when Jesus will unite all things together. Everything will be united together because they will be in him and he will be the one ruler, the one righteous, glorified ruler. In his kingdom, this is where he will gather all the elect to himself. In his kingdom, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his kingdom, every trace of evil has been disposed of. In his kingdom, the presence of sin no longer is there. This is why he has blessed us with all these blessings. To the praise of his glory, his son's reign, and our reign with him. In closing, in closing, may you and I today, brothers and sisters, as we think of these incredible doctrines of election and redemption, and what they truly mean, may we worship God the Father and God the Son because in their infinite love for us, they have called us to themselves and redeemed us from the bondage of sin, forgiven us all our trespasses, and they've placed us in the kingdom of the beloved Son. And all this will be to the praise and glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you for this, this calling, Lord, that you call us to yourself. Father, I pray now that if there's anyone here that does not know you, that, Father, you would draw them to you now, that you would convict them of their sin, that they would see that Christ has laid down his life on that cross to die their death, Father, to redeem them from the bonds of slavery. Father, may you draw them with cords of everlasting kindness. And Lord, may you draw us today the same way, your elect, to praise and worship you and to glorify you the rest of this week until we can meet next week, Father. May we relish in our redemption Thank you, Lord. Thank you for paying the price that I could never pay. Thank you. In your name, amen. So please, brothers and sisters, stand as we sing our last song.